0: If you're interested in sponsoring how you play the game, please email us at podcast at Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Please remember, these episodes are considered for mature audiences only. There is some language and some mature discussion. Well, it's that time again. No, it's not time for another COVID-19 haircut. It's time for How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the OSA Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the first episode of the month of September. The year is 2020. Hope you're all doing safe and well. As always, you can find us on the internet. Our address is osafoundation.org. You can contact the show via email. The address is podcast at osafoundation.org And on social media, Facebook, Facebook.com slash Foundation, and Twitter and Instagram are both at OSEP Foundation, hashtag how you play the game. Across the way from me, as always, the producer-engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, hello, how are you?
1: Hey, Jack. I didn't know that you could, uh, I didn't know you could cut your own hair.
0: Well, you know, pandemics do crazy, crazy things, and uh, I was just saying the other day that I better not advertise it, because there are plenty of barbers and hairstylists out there who would uh, have my head on a pedestal if they found out I was giving underground haircuts. Which well, underground haircuts, been, by the know, way? I've,
1: what I've been doing—I've been doing—I've been doing my own hair for or whatever's left of it for <laughs> the past five years.
0: Well, well, you're fine. For me, underground haircuts is the name of my upcoming autobiography. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah. Anyway, we've got we've got a, a fantastic episode for everybody today. Uh, our guest today is a philosophy instructor at Florida State College Jacksonville. Uh he has edited books such as Frankenstein in Philosophy and Adventure Time and Philosophy. He's working on Star Trek and Philosophy book. Uh his YouTube show is called You Philosopher. And uh we've already decided that he's our new best friend as he joins us uh to talk about an essay he wrote for Mr. Rogers and Philosophy. And that of course is Dr. Nicholas Michaud. Nick, thanks for so much for being here. How are you today? I'm
2: I'm I'm good, Jack. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a real honor, so thank you.
0: Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Um, Nick wrote uh, an essay in the book, Mr. Rogers and Philosophy, and uh, when I read it, I, I had to get him on because of the nature of it. Uh, the, it's the, the, his entry is entitled, A Word from a Man Mr. Rogers Ruined. Uh, which, is a, which, is, which is a very ironic and catching title that I loved. And when I, when I first saw it, I was, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm laying in bed, and I see it, and I went, oh, great. What's this going to be? And then I read it, and I said, this is worth it. This, this, is, this is a fantastic piece of writing, and I knew that there was a connection to be made. Um, Nick, since you're here, I will give you the honor of uh giving us a summary of the thesis of of this piece because i feel like you could do better justice than than i could
2: uh, well i think i think in all fairness <clears throat> in regards to the nature of our, of the conversation that we're going to have right which we're going to be talking about kind of i think the issues of competitiveness and um issues of, of be the way that kind of connects to like masculinity and certainly and questions and, and it's connectedness in sport. So I should say just kind of as a caveat that I think even just the deferral to me as, as the expert on it ends up, I think still kind of falling into that trap a little bit of kind of a, uh, maybe a, a kind of, and, and, and I think this is something we should parse out when I say masculinized, but like a, a, a kind of hierarchical trap.
0: Mm-hmm. At,
2: Cause the fact of the matter is, um, you have read it more recently than I have (laughs) (laughs) is what it really comes down to. And so I'm like, and uh, I'm trying to like pick my brain. Like, what did I write? I'm I'm literally thinking that is a pretty good title. Uh, Who came up with that? Uh, Was it me? You know, was it my publisher? Who uh, can I take credit? So I, I think I I should also, I I think I should note and and, and I say this having not spent nearly, not nearly doing enough of my due, nearly doing as much of my due diligence, Diligence as I should, but my excuse is going to be pandemic and, and and exhaustion. But having taken the opportunity to kind of look at your you know your mission statement and and what you what you what you all are doing, <clears throat> I'm very motivated by it. I find myself very much nodding in agreement um, with with the kinds of improvements that you're that you're hoping to make, and I find that laudable. So I just wanted to make sure to, thank you to note that in order to try and g- garner much. some sympathy from your audience before no, I immediately thank you. lose them. <laughs> Uh, so um, we're trying to do
1: we're still trying to garner (laughs) sympathy from our audience (laughs) fair enough
2: yeah yeah well in my in my own in my own show i think i have like two people who watch so like they're my devoted listeners um so i think that if i were to um if if i were to try and articulate kind of like my my basic thesis um in that piece it would be that there is A, a prevailing notion that it's an undercurrent, that every once in a while people will pop up and say, and I think in that piece, I brought up an example from like Fox and Friends. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, Where it'll pop up every once in a while, I think usually in more subtle ways, though it's becoming less so, in which the idea of things like kindness, compassion, and working together is a weakness. Mm -hmm. And... I think part of my argument is is that that's actually, I think, kind of a prevailing belief set that we hold kind of culturally. I don't think we articulate it. Like, we will say to each other, like, be kind and so on and so forth. Um, But there's this idea that at the end of the day that it should always kind of take second um, fiddle Mm -hmm. to winning and to kind of being on top. And so that... And, and I think there's a lot to be said, said here, so I, I don't want to speak too much because you know, I'd rather hear your questions as well. But I think one good example, and, and this might be entirely me misremembering, because I don't think I put this example in the, in the essay, but entirely kind of like me misremembering my own piece. But um, I have a friend who, um, her brother has a daughter. So Sorry, there's like 14 people involved. Anyways, this gentleman has a daughter. We'll just go with that. All right. Good, good, successful uh, uh, guy, right? Does good work, helps people, so on and so forth. So his daughter uh, is very uh, uh, sports oriented, and, and it, at the time I believe she was in maybe in middle school, and uh, so she's doing things like track and field, so on and so forth. Anyways, long story short, she's running a, a practice race, and a uh, so she's doing really quite well. And then another runner, like, kind of mildly injures herself, right? I think, like, uh, twists an ankle kind kind of the wrong way or something like that. And so it's kind of like walking it a bit. So um, uh, this gentleman's daughter... Kind of stopped and and walked the rest of the way the race with her so that she wouldn't be alone and that so that she would have company and so on and so forth and I just thought it was fascinating because I was present for the conversation because the um, the daughter had was telling the story of like oh yeah so I did blah 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 I did this and the father was like okay well that's that's all that's great that's nice but make sure you only do that for a practice race because if it ever really matters right right your priority needs to be winning. And it just really took me aback because I think that's actually really quite common. Yeah. Like, I realized that I was kind of the odd person out in my, like, because I just thought that was amazing. Like, had it been, and not to, like, parent shame or something like that, but had it been my child, I would have been like, that's amazing. Like, you're showing a level of compassion and kindness that maybe even I would not have thought to do. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, I think in the piece, I mean – and I'll just say one last thing about it. I'm very motivated by Mr. Rogers. Having grown up with him, You know, I think a lot of children feel that way. And he's one of those people where I think when you read about him, you're always expecting to hear that, well, here's the truth about the man. And right. it's not like journalists did not try to do that, right? I mean, to some degree, it's their job. And to some degree, I guess it's part of our kind of, the fun of finding out that someone isn't as perfect. But it's like, no one could find... Any serious evidence that he did not genuinely try to practice what he preached. The level of kindness and compassion to me is a constant reminder of like the kind of person that I want to be. So I think that's kind of what I wanted to speak to in the piece. That um that maybe this kind of Rogerian, if we were to make up a word, um gesture towards um being kind and being compassionate is not actually is not actually
0: a weakness. Yeah. So,
2: anyways, I'm gonna I, I'll stop there. Uh, pardon the long-winded philosophical TED talk. Thank you for coming to my TED talk, You're, which, by
0: uh, the way, was very good. We have that oh, on our next, <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> But you know what? You were you, I. I think your summary is is spot on. I mean, we see examples all the time that are both in line with that story and follow the complete antithesis of that story. I mean, we've seen examples of, uh, you know, there there was a story, I think it was out in like the Seattle area where in a softball game, a young girl hit a a walk-off home run and then she broke her ankle rounding the bases and the team that had just lost went over and picked her up and helped her finish rounding the bases in order to complete the, you know, the, 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 the home run trot. Um, you know, we see stuff like that, and then we also see, you know, what you know, the the opposite, which is what you described, where you know the, the the competitive edge and the understanding that you know victory and championship is is for whatever reason placed on a pedestal that puts it above all, you know, compassion and kindness, and it's it's a shame because. You know, I, I, I there was a part in your essay where you said like, you know, we all die. I know that's kind of a, a, a blunt, you know, uh, no, you know, not surprise. Means. Not no, you. So not, oh, yeah, no, I forgot. I'm yeah, Go- Sean and I were playing golf the other day, and that's when I realized Sean was Jesus. So, I was, I, you know my bad. Um, you know, but 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 it's you know, outside of Sean, we all die, and we we all kind of meet the same end goal. We're we're you know, it's it's almost like a um, you know, to, to 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 call on our nerddom a little bit. There's an <laughs> episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force where, oh, wow, yeah, where, where nice Car- Carl says as he's being as he's being uh, married to a, a Chechnyan mail order bride, and they're trying to pronounce <laughs> his last name. He goes, "It, it, it don't matter. No, none of this matters." And, and I just thought about it, and I was like, for such a throwaway line, that speaks to this. It's just, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, what really matters here? And it's kindness and compassion, you know? Um, as I was reading this talk about when you referenced Fox and Friends and, and, and whatnot, I thought about a recent documentary called The Mask You Live In, um, mm. which is about, which, first of all, has horrible grammar in its title. You don't end in a preposition. We <laughs> learned that the hard way. Um, but it's, it talks about uh, boys and young men as they struggle with the issues of masculinity and whatnot. And, and it, I think it speaks to the idea that competition and, and, and winning is, it, 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 it runs our society. Uh, and, and I think that's an interesting point that you actually make later in your, your essays where you talk about how, you know, in, in, in America, in society, we have a capitalist system. It is built on the nature of competition. We find that that works economically, and there is nothing inherently wrong with that per se, but there are other aspects around it that uh, we can, we can I don't want to say manipulate, but we need to pay attention to in a different way. The line that I think that you used in the piece that I loved was kind of a summary of how I think you would say Mr. Rogers would address this. And you said, quote, competition is good, but not if it costs us being good. Would you still agree with that?
2: Yeah, you know, I do. I do. I think it's a great statement, and I do not remember writing it. If you had said <laughs> that someone else said that, I'd be like, "That is, that is, that's good. I like that. I mean, yeah. it's a little is it a little self-indulgent <laughs> you know, like The f- person seems to think they're a little, you know, at least I, I think they think they're a little smart, but I like it, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh,
0: spoiler alert.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, I, so there, there's a lot of stuff that you've mentioned here that, uh, that I would, I would love to touch on. This is the problem with talking with philosophers is um, we're just so in love, you know, with the sound of our own voices. And, and that's um, fine. So, that's fine. Yeah, you, So like, buckle up
0: we have to do so
2: i think um the so there's a couple of things that are definitely worth noting that that stick out to me in terms of the problem that we're discussing and and, and one of the things that we need to do is is even kind of figure out well what exactly is the problem right like is there a problem Like cause some people are like i don't see what the problem is i don't see what the problem is with telling this kid to um win when it comes to winning and uh you know Okay fine at practice be nice but when it matters you win you know like a lot of people aren't going to see the problem with that and i think so one thing that we lack in our <laughs> sorry sorry to sound again like like some sort of ivory tower academic but what we're lacking in our discourse you know so yeah. when we're talking <laughs> together we are not talking together in our society anymore that 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 i think is 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 clear it's it's become if anything an it's it's an overdone trope like oh our society can't talk but that's because we literally seem to have completely lost the ability to try to engage in conversations in the following way we do not have to agree but it is possible to understand why the other person thinks as they do that is a possibility. In other words, I can walk away from a conversation going, man, I think that that in the end is actually wrongheaded, or some of that is inaccurate, or I happen to disagree with that morally. However, I understand the logic and or personal experience that has resulted in that person coming to believe as they do. And as a result, I do not believe therefore that they are a monster or stupid, or that there's something that I've decided is wrong with them, like mentally or something like, I, I, I understand. In other words, if I was in their positioning and, and, and going, having gone through their experience, I might think similarly. That seems to have completely gone out the window. And so I think one of the first things that we should do, um, honestly, Jack, is um, make sure that in our conversations, we are identifying what the problem is and then able to recognize how other people may not see that as a problem or give a very different answer um in other words to be uh kind of conceptually charitable so if we were to start from that position right and 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 i think that fits into the idea of of playing fairly being a a, you know a a, a sports person right Right. like being someone Wait, i am not what do i get out of a game if, if, part of my, if part of my goal is to win an argument, it, it's similarly, if, if, if I'm playing some sort of sport where the other person is shackled, or I put them in the worst pers- possible position from the beginning, do I really get to feel all that great about having won? Right. So instead, I want to put the person who disagrees with me in the best possible positioning. Um, and I think that that position is a couple of things. One, our society is based on this kind of uh, cap- capitalist ideology. That suggests is like, if we knock heads, it's going to come out in the wash. Everyone will be better off, right? Right. You're trying to win. I'm trying to, so it's the the, the car salesman example, I think is, you know, I walk onto a car lot. You're trying to take advantage of me. I'm trying to take advantage of you. And as uh, as a result, the price ends up being in the middle. Right. I happen to disagree with that without even having to go into morality or the issue of compassion and kindness. I need Which, you honestly, to buy me my next
0: car. That's what it is. I need you to buy me the next car. I buy. Okay.
2: <laughs> so, <it's>, uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm probably too much of a softy. i will be like, but they're not making enough money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, like, you're like, no, no, don't help me here, Nick. So, yeah. I, I think there's, there's a bunch of, like, key things that go into this. But, so, one, I think I can convince the person who disagrees with me in terms of kind of just the morality of it. I think I can convince them mathematically, economically, that what we're doing is not actually in our long-term economic best interest. I mm-hmm. think that, that's, I think that that's, one, that's one point. And then what we have to – the other thing that we have to ask ourselves is – are we even talking about the same thing when we talk about winning? I really, really, really believe, I have to believe this, otherwise I'm gonna lose my sanity, Jack. I really, really believe that um, we have more in common, particularly here in the States, as thinkers, as believers, than we have differences. No. And I think it ends up being in politicians' best interests, and sometimes in corporate best interest, sometimes in corporate best interest, it ends up being in other people's best interests for us to be battling against each other. I right. mean, the perfect example of that is just like cases of, of various kinds of slavery throughout courses of human history, whether it be wage slavery or um, like ownership of human beings, so on and so forth. If you, if you have a group of people who are somehow marginalized or enslaved, get them to hate each other. Right, And they will help keep each other down. They're not going to worry about whoever is mistreating them up top. They will be too busy trying to take each other down. And so I think it's in politicians' best interest for things like, because I I do think to some degree you could couch the issue of competitiveness in terms of like conservative and liberal. I don't think it maps that cleanly, but I think people sometimes do that. Right. Um, I do think it's in politicians' best interest. I mean, certainly I think you see that we're happening right now um, with a lot of speeches that are being made. These people are the enemy. They believe completely differently than you do. They do not share any of your values. And I think that that's completely misguided because I think I could sit down with just about anyone who radically disagreed with me. And I'd fair to change that a fair number of people really do. Um, and I would sit down and be like, OK, do you believe in freedom of speech? And they would say, "Well, yeah," I, and and they say, "But I have certain caveats." And I say, "Okay, well, that's all right. I have certain caveats about that too." Of course, but we we both agree that there are other countries in the world that have cur- that curtail things like freedom of the, the, the press and freedom of speech and in these kinds of individual liberties. You, we happen to think that that's misguided. Like we, like I believe, like um, like China has a particular app that kind of like follows the social media engagement of their. Uh, of of the people who who, who own that app, right, or have that app. Mm -hmm. And um, for for people living in China, it makes a lot of sense because it connects them all together in a certain way. It's fascinating to watch. Uh, It's it's a digression, so I won't go too long. But basically, like, if I have a family member who I'm connected to in this social media, and they say something bad about the government, my score goes down as well. Interesting. Yeah, and and that makes more sense, you know, in kind of understanding the the cultural connectedness uh uh, in china in terms of the way they kind of think of themselves as very kind of connected to each other long before um before their current governmental system like the idea that like what your brother does reflects on you you know Mm -hmm. those ideas are ideas that they they hold on to but we generally be like listen uh I'm i'm getting to know jack jack's getting to know me nick uh so say we decide to friend each other on Facebook, right? right? We would both be under the impression that if, if I said something way out there that should not cause you to suddenly uh, be considered uh, bad from the government's perspective right? and that they need to start like watching you more, more carefully or something like that. The point being is, is I think that we actually have a lot of shared values. I think we have more shared values than we have shared disagreements and that it's in other people's best interest to kind of, Put this at. Um... Oh, that's so funny! You just added unlimited minutes to the to the meeting. <laughs> just in case. Just yeah, in case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. I will try and speak. It's fast. not you.
0: It's not you. <laughs> it's, it's me. The, it's the it's zoo. Are you th- using
1: uh, the It's not you. It's me
0: routine? <laughs> <laughs> i right. It's me. You see, it's it is a
1: hundred percent me. The short
2: version of my story has nothing to do with you.
0: (laughs) Technology.
2: (laughs) The short version of my story is only that. I do think that we are not defining winning in the same way. Yeah. Mm. And as a result, we're butting heads about it. And that if we stepped back, I mean, so considering that like, okay, here's a great example. Like many people who are of the idea like you need to play to win, right? Many of them Follow a conservative mindset. Not all this. I do not. I do not want to catch this in all like one term. Of course, yeah. Um, but many people of of that mindset are also like deeply religious, right? And they yep. follow a a a Christian belief set as well, which suggests to me that it that that many of them also believe in things like caring and compassion and 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 the, and the various tenets that Jesus Christ espouses. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I think if if we were to talk about like what's more important. Right They would say, "Oh, well, at the end of the day, be, being loving," and then what we really are trying to figure out is, well, what does that mean, and what does that look like?" And so I, th- I think we have a starting point. honestly, I-, I genuinely think that we do, and I think winning, so this was all just a very long way of saying, I think we are already off the mark when we say that we care more about winning, because I yeah. think the problem is is that we should redefine winning, because if you look at like there used to be a great documentary on Netflix, I don't know if it's still there, it's called "Happy but where countries that define their economy differently often have much higher levels of happiness. Right. Like we don't have to define our, our economy in terms of GDP. Right. Um, There's one country, I don't remember the name of the country where they define their wellness based on gross national happiness. Interesting. Right. And as a result, their people are much, much happier right but we for like simplicity's sake mathematic you know because of math and because of money and so on and so forth we've narrowed our notion to winning to crossing finish lines in certain kinds of ways but i'll be honest i think there is a lot of room and i like to believe in our own society a lot of room for discourse where that young woman who stopped to help this other person that's winning yeah that there's room for that and what's happened is is we've kind of narrowed our definition in a way that at the end of the day none of us really want to live like that right. i really don't believe that any of us want to live in a world where the where like if something bad is happening to me and other people are trying to win at life and they're just driving past and no one helps i don't think that that's who we are yeah you, so i think
0: step number one problem of winning what does winning mean Thing. Yeah. So I mean you but you you nailed that also in the piece where you talked about how we define success is you know is 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 crucial here because we seem to think that success is immediately defined by you know how much for lack of a better term the the highest number of of in, in our bank account so to speak, you know, is that you you win when you have more assets, when you have more money. And and in in contrast to that, you know, especially as, and I, and I don't want to take the tangent too deep into politics, but we are in an election year, and I find myself looking at the situation and I say, you know, although I know what I believe, um, and I know that that's what works for me, I'd like to also think that, you know, the, the, the two ends of the spectrum, if we were going to label them as conservative and liberal, I really don't think that we have that much that where we differ. I think we want the same thing. I think that we just want to go about it in different ways, specifically with regard to things such as, you know, what should the government be involved with? And, and we, we neglect that in, in terms of wanting to just win. You know, there is a, there's a great point made by another author uh, named Alfie Cohn in his book, No Contest, as he talks about competition, where he says, you know, something like the debate team is one of the biggest problems because all it teaches us is it doesn't matter what side I'm on so long as it's the winning side. And it, you know, it it teaches us in, in, in the purposes of learning how to debate that we can sacrifice our morality and our beliefs uh, so long as we know how to debate no matter what side we are given. Whether you are given the pro-life side or the pro-choice side, your job is to come up with uh, a rational argument that shows that your argument is better than the opposition. Doesn't matter what, whether or not you believe it. It matters that you were able to, to defeat the other person and And all of those things combined you know, create a situation where we're just we're we're in over our heads, we're left scratching our heads saying what 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 the hell just happened? you know why can't we all just literally get along? why can't we all i mean there's a, there's a, there's a great thing that you know you you talked about how we should be able to walk away from a conversation saying, you know what, I may vehemently disagree with that person, but I can understand where that person's coming from. You know, they say that breakthrough learning ends very early in life, and as a result of that, we never take the time to go back and reexamine those things. You know, we, we see that a lot in our political beliefs. We see that a lot in sometimes our religious or spiritual beliefs where we just get so ingrained in, well, this is the way it has always been. And I refuse to, uh, you know, shake that foundation because what if there's something I missed, you know, and then, then familiarity is gone. Comfort is gone. Uh, you know, a sense of stability is gone. And and we are left with fear of the unknown. Um which can be scary, you know, and and we're we're always constantly, I think, worried about that subconsciously to a certain degree. Um, You know, it's just, it's, it's your your point is so well taken in that we, if we step back, and we look at this rationally, I'd like to believe in our heart of hearts, the overwhelming majority of people will realize that we have the potential to be kind, to be compassionate, to be forgiving, to be loving uh, in a way that does not change us uh, to admit defeat, to admit weakness, to, to, you know, or, or to do anything that diminishes who we are outside of eliminating perhaps some of those darker spots that we might, we might just let flow in the nature of something.
1: You know, Jack, you mentioned the, the whole idea of the debate team. Um, and, and Nick, I've spoken to Jack about this before, but the, one of the best debates that I've ever seen, I feel like the best kind of debates are the one you learn the most from mm-hmm. rather than about, you know, who wins or who loses because that's not really what debates should be about in the first place, um, at least to me. But, like, I remember when um, I was watching the um, Bill Nye and can um, debate um evolution right. versus creationism. and I've learned both I've learned from both sides of that, like watching it. It was really an invigorating and like exciting debate in the fact that I learned more from that than the idea of one has to be better than the other, or you know there, it's not about that. It's about both sides preventing presenting their view and learning from each other. I mean, that's at least that's my take on it.
2: Yeah. I I agree. And I think that, um, I mean, there's a lot, the problem is, is there's so much to unpack here. Uh, So there's a couple of things that come up. Like when we're in agreement, things like our brainwaves are more in synonymy, Mm -hmm. you know, like when you're arguing with your partner or something, like we find that there's like a lack of alignment between brainwaves. Like, so we're talking about something that's like kind of like deep kind of like deep in us right and, and it, part of our biology as well and i think it's warranted to talk a bit uh, about evolution as well looking at this debate article that you're talking or, or, or the book that that brings up this idea first of all um it's it, it i think really on the mark and i wish i had written it um <laughs> but um the 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 problem ends up being this Uh, to my from my perspective which is that um, there is increasing evidence that argumentation in human beings did not sociologically and, and maybe even biologically develop as a means by which to come to the truth it actually develops as a means by which to show dominance the, the kind of mm. argument is, that, like the thought process is, is okay, well, <clears throat> there's a point in time. So a lot of this comes from the fact, like whether or not someone like believes necessarily in biological evolution, I think this is still a, a, a fairly convincing, like reasonable narrative, which is that as human beings start living more and more together, right? We're engaging in social um, interaction on 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 deeper levels like so language is developing stuff like that so you know we we are we are we are very social entities and increasingly so like our 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 social sphere in in some ways i think there's argument to be made here is still continuing to widen the point being is is there's a few things that come out of that one of which is is there, there starts being a point where for your society to function every time someone gets upset or feels like they've taken a loss, right? I've been harmed. I've been made vulnerable. I've been humiliated. Something's been taken from me. If every time someone has that feeling, if they act on the next immediate biological response, well, whenever I have that feeling, vulnerability, humiliation, uh, physical pain, I've, I've, I have a loss of some kind. Someone's taken something that I like. The initial response for many human beings, if not most, is physical violence, right? I want to hit the person who hurt me. You, oh, you pushed me. I'm going to push you back. You did something to, to humiliate, violate. I've taken a loss. So now I economize that on that loss. I, I biologically prevent that loss from occurring more, right? In other words, animals that engage in some sort of physical Violence in order to defend themselves are more likely to um, pass on th- those particular genes. So now we have a problem, which is, is you have people living in a society <clears throat> where that becomes less and less um, an effective means by which to have a functioning society. If every time someone feels like they take a loss, they punch someone else, you can't have a functioning society. You can't make that work. You can't make that work very well. So they think that what started to happen is, is that. The way that we engaged in showing dominance and dealing with loss and explaining, giving an account of ourselves ends up being through argumentation, right? Um, in other words, I have to be able to, I do something to you. Well, if I'm, if I'm a dog, I don't have to explain why I bit you or took something from you, stole your bone, whatever it happened to be. I don't have to explain it. But when I live in a, in a, in a social system that involves language, now when I take it, I've got to be able to explain it. Right. So, expl- so giving an account becomes very important, but also the issue of dominance becomes one of, well, if people are physically abusing each other to show dominance, this is sociologically problematic. It's societally problematic. So what they think happened was, is that, human beings started using language as a means by which to show dominance, which is why this is all just a long winded way of saying, this is why we can know that we are wrong. <laughs> we can know that the other person, the person would be like, listen, I will pull it up. Egypt is in Africa. I don't know. It's an African country. I no, it's not. They didn't show me all they never showed me that in high school. It's clearly a different country. It's not it's clearly not an African. No, it is. I'll pull it up on Wikipedia. And like anyone can post something on Wikipedia. It doesn't matter, you know. Like, so we know, like we're like, oh man, the person is showing it to us. This, I think, is especially common with spouses. Right? Like our partner, our spouse, our dating partner is right. <laughs> yeah. We know that there we're like we see there's that moment where we're like oh holy schnikes i am in <laughs> fact in the wrong <laughs> and if anything we become more determined to win that argument at that right. point. Right. We, we become more irate, we become kind of more angry. <clears throat> and it's fascinating to me because what this all goes to show and i think this is really just kind of su- to support your point is if argumentation was based on trying to come to the truth, as opposed to engaging in dominance, then when people showed us we were wrong, we would thank them. Because it I, would mean that we're closer to the truth. Like, yeah. oh, mm. Egypt is in Africa. Thank you. I, I am now closer. If our goal, if one of our main goals is to come closer to the truth, I want to know more and more accurately. I want my representation right. of the world to be more accurate. Then we would be mm. thinking thanking people. Right. For it, but we cannot seem to bring ourselves through that. Like I try, <laughs> but it's especially especially tough with the people who are closest to me. Oh yeah, like you. you know, if it's a someone, if, if 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 Jack corrects me, oh I don't know you very well. He's like, well actually, Nick, what you said I think was it was incorrect because, and you pull out, I'll be like, all right, cool, thanks, right. Jack. Yeah. But if like <laughs> if we're like good friends, I'm like, nah, nah, this is not okay. This is not all right. <laughs> this- so. I think that's part of the problem is, is that we we have to reconstruct argumentation for ourselves. And people might be like, what? But what I like winning, and here's what we're really get, getting down to. Here's what I really think. If we're trying to boil this down super fast, is the problem of dominance. That's what I think a lot of these problems actually really become. This is just kind of a Nick Michaud thesis. It may or may not be correct, but this is just kind of my thinking at the moment. I think our problem more so than anything else is a problem of dominance. We do not know how to be okay with not being dominant. And um, there's a great sociologist uh, who writes about issues of dominance and conversations between men and women in our society um, uh, named Deborah Tannen, and um she's not arguing that it's biological facts about men and women she's i she's like it might be the way that we're literally bringing up and enculturating men and women but that we basically train men to communicate in certain ways and we train women to communicate in different ways and this tends to between men and women lead to kind of like things like marital strife but the interesting thing about it is, is that women generally often, I'm certainly not going to make an argument that this is biological by any stretch, but that women are encouraged to converse uh, in inclusive ways. And then people often refer to this as like feminine discourse. Right. And that men are taught to engage with each other in uh, hierarchical ways. That men are, in fact, taught that. Through our society, maybe not literally, but through their engagement with society, that someone has to win and someone has to lose. That we can't ever come out equal. Yeah. And that is definitely. I want to be careful about using the word "infected" because I think it gives away my my positioning here. But um, I think it has really kind of infused itself even to the way that we think about business. Like that, there are no win wins. Yeah. That there's always gonna have to be a loser and so to be very brief i highly recommend her work but she talks about things like like when you have even like young women and young men like you'll have little girls talking with each other and like one little girl will say something like my daddy wears glasses and the other little girl will say like my daddy wears glasses too but she'll be lying (laughs) the second little girl's daddy doesn't wear glasses but and you and if you talk with many women about it they're like well yeah which is why the way that it's, it's, it's in discourse, why like people don't realize like to this day, our discourse doesn't include women, partly because we literally don't raise them to to in, be interruptive. Right. I'm not saying we should raise them to be interruptive, but they they, they are literally raised to be invited in, like to being, oh, like, let me include you. So like if you talk with many women, and again, I think there's a lot of problems with even saying something like many women. So I've just kind of blamed Dr. Tammett.
0: We got it. We got
2: it. <laughs> but that being said, if you talk with many women, they can tell you when, like, little Susie, that fill in the blank, didn't invite her to her fifth grade birthday party. Men often will not, but men will remember when they've lost a particular something. They will remember when someone else beat them at something. They will remember when they. So, like, women are, are often raised to, to engage in inclusion where men are raised to be very concerned about their placement in the hierarchy. And to the point where like one little boy will say something like, my mom can throw the ball across the street. And then the next little boy is not going to be like, my, my mom can throw the ball across the street too. He's gonna be like, my mom can throw the ball across the neighborhood. And, and like, by the end, you have little boys whose moms are throwing the, throwing the baseball across the universe. Right. So, and we've all been there. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, my mom could, I don't know about <laughs> yours, but,
0: um, the, but, but my let me ask you be- right now, mom, mom, <laughs> <laughs> but my point
2: only being that the problem of dominance is one that we need to address. In other words, do we actually need, so, so this is, so again, not to be too political, but clearly our political discourse has become about dominance, right? Right. The president regularly talks about winners and losers. If you vote for me, you will be a winner if you are not with me you are a loser that is part of our discourse and in fact there's a lot of studies that show like part of i know why he's worried about polls right now because studies show that when a poll show that someone's winning people are more likely to want to vote for that person because they want to be on the winning side.
0: People always so, want to be associated with the winner. Yep.
2: Right. So it's very, very important that yep. he says that these polls are fake because otherwise he loses even more people than he does, kind of like just by the the basic math of it. Yeah. So the problem of 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 dominance, do in other words, what because we talk about a lot of times, I've dominated you, right? What is is that truly a desirable trait and then what i think we need to so i'm going to stop because i've talked too much but i think the question we need to ask is that the evolutionarily desirable trait
0: so go ahead
2: well i was just to say because now we're in a position where we have more say over our evolution right like whether or not we believe in some sort of biological evolution now we have a say in it now we get to pick what traits
0: we think we want to raise people into so when so when my girlfriend comes over later and tells me that egypt is actually in montana (laughs) <laughs> um i'm supposed to let her win
2: okay so first of all i love that question i love okay. that i love that i think that's i think that's absolutely brilliant because well wait a minute so what is the saying about masculine and feminine discourse well first of all this shows what dr tana talks about she's not talking about there's a better or worse right. now i do happen to think the dominance discourse is far, far too close to what I've been calling, started to call rape dialectic. What a lot of people refer to as kind of like toxic masculinity. I want to broaden, because I think that also kind of limits it like specifically to men and not to say that men don't engage in it or isn't something that's more common amongst men, but it is also possible that people who identify themselves in many, many different ways can engage in a kind of toxicity. And what I mean is the need to force oneself physically mentally or emotionally on someone else the need to make someone else submit right because dominance is is does not exist in a vacuum it doesn't mean that's just that someone's won right because winning does not have to mean dominating we've brought those two ideas together winning could mean we could redefine winning in any way we want we could redefine winning in terms of like Everyone is successful in this way. Excellent examples of that include like, this is not in all cases, a lot of people I think are going to object to this, but like I've, I've heard discussion by Native American elders who have talked about like how radically different it was to think about um, uh, things like economy between Western notions of economy and their notions of economy, because for them, the wealthiest person would not be the person who had the most wealth. They would be the person who gave away the most horses, right. or the person who gave away the, the most wealth, right? So for them, the wealthiest person in their society isn't the person who has the most. It's literally the person who has been the most generous. That would be the person who is considered the most wealthy. So this issue of dominance and, and winning, those are not the same things. Dominance requires, by definition, the forcing of someone else to submit. And the question is, is that the thing that we really need? Right, yep. Because that is only a spit away from either rape literally or rape metaphorically. Yep. So part of the problem is, in your question, Right, is this issue of, and a lot of women will talk about this, not just women, but often they will, where they will point out that their, if their partner is identified male, they will talk about that their, their male's way of engaging with them is the problem. It's not that she's incorrect about whatever said fact. Right. It's the way that he presents, And he'll be like, listen, you're just wrong. It's not my job to coddle you. And then the real question is, wait, why not? Yeah. Right. Literally that's, I'm pretty sure I didn't sign up with you because you're the smartest. If I wanted to be (laughs) with the smartest man, buddy, it wouldn't be you. Yeah. Right. That's true. And and only by definition, like she may not even mean that in an insulting way. It's just like, uh, my girlfriend does, my girlfriend
0: does.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, she's like, if I was picking Curly based on like the ability to be correct versus me, I would be picking this physicist or this, you know, I would be picking someone, not you, Nick. (laughs) I picked you, Buddy, because I believe that you provide for these particular emotional needs. And I I like to think that, you know, okay, because you're kind or compassionate, supportive. so, So, like, well, why would I coddle you in this? Literally, because that's what you signed up for. Yeah. This is an emotionally supportive relationship. That doesn't mean, though. Because people are like, oh, so I should just like, let her be wrong? Well, first of all, that's another excellent question. Well, should I let him be wrong? Because right. that's a question that a lot of women end up asking. This isn't just a question that men asking about women. And again, this is way too gendered binary. I just want to put that out there. That's fair. But that's, that's, my, fair. Own, that's my own fault. Yeah. But a lot of women are just like, ah, just to let him have that one. Yeah. Because men are not taught to know how to, to, to lose because they're taught that losing doesn't make you part of the group. They're taught that losing puts you on the outside. Where women are taught, like, like women will be like, I lost too. It is amazing. If you want to improve conversation with many women, I, I like to believe that I'm improving many conversations with many women in my life simply by willing to acknowledge my own faults too. Interesting. Because right? women will say, like, I feel this way about myself. I feel that way about myself. Men tend to respond with, like, no, you're perfect. Yeah. Right. And not that we don't all want to hear that sometimes, but sometimes it's like, I'm not saying that I agree that you have whatever fault. But I got to say, when I look in the mirror, man, I, listen, brother, you're talking about your hairline? I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel you. I'm there with you. But the problem is, is like men are kind of raised to go like immediately, like, wait, are you compete? Like mine's more.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've lost more hair than you. Like we will, men will compete about being losers. <laughs> like if a couple of guys who are in a bad place, like if we've all lost, like if we've all like uh, lost our jobs or we've, we're all suffering from COVID, we will sit yeah. around mm-hmm. being like, Oh, you think you're having a bad time? Let me tell you what my boss said to me today.
1: That's like George Costanza <laughs> arguing with Jerry yeah, Seinfeld. Exactly. Big, you th- and I forget what episode it was, but George wore a wedding band to see if he could attract more women that way, and he lost so many women. He's like, I lost ring, I lost courtside seats to to Madison Square Garden. I, I am George Costanza, king of the idiots.
0: <laughs> I I can't tell if the title of this episode should be Egypt is in Montana or men compete about being losers. I mean, that's how great this is. So <laughs> I mean, do do we uh, uh, do we not? You're you're absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right. Um you know, I just, you know, I I we we try to I don't know if manipulate is the right word, but we we present ourselves regardless of the context to be in the the dominant or the the winning perspective, regardless of what's happening, you know, it goes back to the debate team idea. It doesn't matter who's right, who's wrong, what what's what's up, what's down, left, right, whatever. Um, it's it's where do I stand in this hierarchy? Um, you know, your your argument about dominance. Uh, and 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 whatnot leads me to a very interesting thought about Mr. Rogers, in that you know he talked about when he when he created uh, or, or or I should say defined how he wanted to provide entertainment for children. You know he referenced the idea of saying I don't think that we need to be showing. Uh, you know, the, 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 the people getting bopped on the head or hitting with pies or anything like that in order to entertain other people. And what's so funny is that when we see that in our entertainment now, I mean, I think back to, you know, the Nickelodeon generation that, that was popular in the 80s and 90s and to a degree what's going on. You know, I mean, it, it's still somewhat- Those were the good old days. Oh, uh, we Were they just like
2: pouring slime on people? What which- which we can't do
0: that on television. Exactly, exactly. And that is, that is, you know, in a way, a schadenfreuden type way mm-hmm. of, of dominant, dominating another person, of humiliating another person specifically for the purposes of entertainment. And, and that, I mean, not to get- um, excessively pornographic. I'm sure Sean will, will not only have his ears perk up, but then make sure that this is rated M for immature. But isn't that we're, we're what,
1: already there? We're already there. All right, yeah, yeah, fair.
0: <laughs> You know, it's, just let that sink in. Um, which is what she said. Uh, that's. I mean, that's. But but that is to a degree what so much you know of our um, you know our perceived uh, sexual experiences can be as well in that it's, you know, we, we, we see it in, uh, you know, mainstream pornography. We see it, we, we, we fantasize about it, about how a, you know, and again, we're talking about a gender binary thing right now. And, you know, so, so we, we put it in that context, but that template of the man dominating the woman is, is fulfilling in, in, in a way. And again, fulfilling might not be the, the proper term, but for the purposes of experiencing, uh that you know that trajectory that might be the best way to explain it in you know for purposes of understanding it in the argument. Yeah I think sorry,
1: no go ahead. Were you gonna say something, Sean? Yes. Um so um I was well you you go ahead with your thought first. No no, no 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 please I took off okay. way too much. Okay. So um because I was gonna bring up a different I guess there's a there's a point of view I don't know if it's in philosophy or in politics, but that you're not entitled to your opinion, but you're entitled to what you can argue for. So what, so does that foster a sense? Cause in, I mean, it makes sense to me, but does that foster a sense of dominance as well? Like you have to fight for your point of view rather than just having an opinion without necessarily having to defend it yeah i oh my goodness there's so many
2: things to discuss uh so i mean
1: is that i i you know what i mean right it's yes just... i I think i do
2: so so if if I go off track, let me know in trying to provide my own thought in response um i think yes, what I think really the problem there is is that um people are really kind of married to their opinions um we all are partly because of the example that i was or or the argument that I was making earlier that argumentation is a means by which of showing dominance mm-hmm. so if our opinion ends up being wrong we somehow been knocked down as opposed to now we know more truth and so we're better off so mm-hmm. we will really really defend it even when it's when it's really irrational so a lot in a lot of t- my teaching like in, in classes i really try and let pe- get people to let go of how important their opinions are to them
1: mm-hmm.
2: in fact uh again i'll try and make it brief the when you ask people to write summaries of things they've read, they will almost always put their opinion in too. Mm. Um, like, but a summary is just telling us what they said. It doesn't need to say like, oh, I liked it or I thought it was good or here's where it was wrong or whatever else. But 90% of my students will immediately just, just do that. And I think it's because um, we live in a society that is also through, kind of through through our engagement with the media has also taught us that the media has learned that we're in love with our opinions. So they encourage that behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, When we hear people who agree with us, we actually get a little high, so there's like a, it's like a little shot of serotonin. Yeah. Like, so if if you know if I'm watching Trevor Noah or something like that and he says something that I find really like I'm mean, I'm like yeah you know but we don't have that if we're watching or listening to someone with whom we disagree and so people are already way more likely because it's literally addictive to listen uh, to people with with whom you agree but then the problem is is like so like that's why you have way more editorial now than you, I think you did say 30 or 40 years ago oh, absolutely like the news has kind of like radically changed where people can't even tell if it's the news or not, you know, like, yep. so like, I think with people like Trevor Noah, like they're honest for the most part about the fact that they're not news that what they're supposed to be doing is comedy. But even then it definitely blurs the line. Someone like Sean Hannity really presents himself like he's presenting fact, like he's providing presenting news fact, but really what he's presenting is his opinion about the news, which is, which mm-hmm. is fine. Go ahead and present your opinion about the news, but people are way more likely to watch that. they're, than to just watch C-SPAN and watch people voting in Congress. And so the way that, um, the evidence of my claim, the way that news outlets, like, you know, like Channel 6 News started to deal with the problem of losing viewership to editorial was um, by asking people to give their opinion on the news, like you, the lay person, tweet us, text us, email yeah. us. Mm-hmm. With, so then they're, they're asking us, like um, so, what do you think about the economic situation in Sierra Leone? And then we're responding as if we know. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, but it's it's very aggrandizing. It's very you know, it, it, it's there's a kind of um, mim- mockery that we don't recognize because um, because of what <laughs> what's called the Dunning Kruger effect. I highly recommend people look this up. It's it, it, if they don't know what it is, it's amazing and terrifying. I think we all fall mm-hmm. victim to it. The, the people who came up with it were like, we're afraid that we're falling victim to it. But basically the effect is simply that when people do not know a thing, if you ask them to report how much expertise they have, they report themselves above average. So if you, like give, them, if you, give, people, you give 100 people a test, the people who score the lowest, if you ask them like, how high do you think you scored in comparison to everyone else? They'll be like, oh, I think I'm above average. And so the, and, and, and people who score well tend to think they're average. Because people who do know a thing well just kind of assume that other people understand it. But when we don't understand a thing well, we don't understand that we don't understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, the perfect example of that is, like, me in advanced mathematics. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, theoretical math is truly beyond me. And I don't understand how beyond me it is, right? You start, you know, you start talking about non-Euclidean geometry, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. So my brain's ability to understand the thing I don't understand is incredibly limited. So we will defend our opinions most vehemently when they're wrong when they're or when they're under evidence and when we can't explain them.
0: So now's a good time to say two plus eight equals chair? Exactly. <laughs> okay. it's, it's clearly correct. Got it. Um, I'm writing that and down. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make make note. This is where you found out
0: here yeah. today. Yeah. Um, I drew so, a chair too. So, oh wow.
2: yeah. <laughs> The issue of sex, I think, is also an important one. I, I'm gonna only mention that tangentially in terms of. I think there's actually a lot to say about fetishization there. Yeah. Sometimes it's not, and I'm not saying that dominance issues in sex, sexuality and pornography are not problematic. I'm not saying that at all. I do think sometimes if you look at what's fetishized there, there's good news in that because what you realize is, is that means that the main of our society has moved away from that thing. So that thing is now something that's become something that people like, there's just this weird, like fetishes are basically like the things that you cannot get out in your normal life become fetish. Like if I can't see ankles, man, yeah. that's what I, what I like deeply want to see. Right. So as um and i like to believe that this is at least to some degree true but by no stretch entirely true that women have become increasingly empowered in our society and there's greater levels of equality and it is entirely possible i, I this is my case num- in numerous instances that my, my that my boss will become a woman as women become more and more powered issues of power dynamics become increasingly fetishized and i think it is a little bit again notwithstanding the fact that there is some truly truly i think terrifying pornography out there in regards to the treatment of women Um, uh, there is also, you see the inverse, where powerful men will pay to be kind of demeaned by women because it also has to do with this issue of like, so so my argument is only kind of evidenced by, there's this fascinating study where they found out that conservatives and liberals look at different kinds of pornography and have different kinds of fetishized fantasies. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, of course they do. No, no, like, because so what so liberals are more likely to fantasize about things like bdsm and conservatives are more likely to fantasize about things like affairs but if you look at the things that those groups tend to be proponents of well it's very mainstream amongst liberals to engage in equality and equal power dynamics at least that's what's spoken right so what becomes the fetish oh you know so so the the You know, the person who's arguing for equal rights out loud and really believes it out there in society might find in the dark that they want to be tied up. Yeah. Whereas conservatives spend a lot of time talking about fidelity and the the responsibility of having these kinds, these specific kinds of marriage-oriented relationships that can you know cannot be open. There's no such thing as polyamory, so on and so forth. And as a result, when, when they are having fantasies, they're more likely to fantasize about things like cheating on your partner, so on and so forth. At least that seems to be what, this, what, what the study says. Now, to your, point, to your point, though, Jack, I do think that there's a problem insofar as what we have not actually agreed on socially is that dominating people for fun when it does harm is a problem. Yeah. In other words, forcing other people to submit is a problem i cannot speak i'm not i'm not going to kink shame i'm not going to speak to people's personal bedroom bedroom lives but we do not exist currently in an equal and fair and just society In many, 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 many ways, and I think that sometimes listeners hear me say that are like, "Oh, well, he's just talking about this group of people, or just talking about he's just talking about people of color, he's just talking about women." No, I'm talking about many, 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 many groups. Yes, that definitely includes people of color and women. That also includes the fact that, like, if you speak with a deep Southern accent, people are more likely to think you're stupid. That's not to say that these are equal problems. That is not to say that they cause equal amounts of disparity. It is, but it is to say that we we can always do better. We can always engage in a society that's more, I mean, talking about like hair loss, if you're a man, you has hair loss, you statistically are less likely to get a job and less likely to be paid as much, yeah. right? At the end of the day, if I believe in things like liberty and so on and so forth, that that seems to be something that I want to address in my society. More so if it's some somehow systemic and deeply embedded in our society. And unfortunately, what it really, really, really comes down to, to make a very long story short, is I think we've become a society that now is struggling to justify not just dominance, but profound selfishness. And I think people hear that and they go, wait, what are you talking about, Nick? We are one of the most generous societies in the world. What I'm talking about is the fact that we all know that when we take our kids to Santa Claus, the child is not gonna tell Santa what they're planning to give for Christmas. Mm -hmm. The child is going to tell Santa not the one item they want for Christmas, like they would back in 1940 or 1950, not the three, not the 10. It's averages are like 30 or 40.
0: Jeez. Right. That's yeah.
2: We, we are a society that is struggling with the, with the fundamental fact that we've reconstructed our capitalism, not to be about capital, right? Not about markets, but capitalism has become more about to capitalize off of, in other words, to take advantage of. We all know that our society with regularity is engaging in the idea that it's okay to take advantage of others. And, and, and I feel like I, I turn listeners off when I say that, but think about when you go to that car salesperson, not only do we know they're trying to take advantage of us, aren't we trying to take advantage of them? My goal in buying the car is not that they get enough money too. Right. My goal right. is, is if, if, if I buy for, well, if he takes a massive loss on that, you know, if she takes a massive loss on that, that's fine. That's between them and their boss. Right. But why is that? Okay. Yeah. And so now we're trying to find a social scheme, a social concept that can justify that. And people like Mr. Rogers and people like yourself are dangerous to that, to the idea that it is, in, in fact, actually better when we're giving, better when we're not trying to, in other words, beat other people to, what does dominance do? It's a taking action. it's forcing someone else to give so our society this issue is, is 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 are we not having a massive argument about selfishness right now it's okay to put yourself first that's what we're fighting about
0: yeah well if you're just joining us speaking of danger you're listening to osip after dark i'm your host seymour butts and we've just uh gotten through this whole conversation about dominance and fetishes and whatnot and uh sean sean are you still with us I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought you would have been like uh, totally like off on side- a limb somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 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 I. You are so right about that, and I don't want to. I don't want to go on too much more. I know you got to run to uh, teach a class, Nick. But you 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 hit the nail on the head in that. You know, th- this 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 disconnect of of being, you know. When when you, when you said people like Mr. Rogers and myself are dangers to that, there is, it's, it's so ironically empowering, but at the same time head scratching because, because it's, it's true. And yet we don't see it as, as being danger. We see it as just being normal. We see it as just being caring. We just see it as saying like, I can't believe that this isn't the norm, you know? And, and it's, it's, it's mind boggling, you know, and yet, and yet do do people occasionally respond negatively to that kind of articulation? uh, Yeah. Yeah. We, we have not, not all the time, but that we have stories about how people have said to us, we don't get it. We don't, we think you are actually, for lack of a better term, we think you are either redundant or not important or you know, actually doing a disservice. And, and, you know, the conversation with those people is, is you just have to try and say to them, like, you don't seem to understand here. We're not about participation trophies, okay? Mm-hmm. We accept that winning and losing is part of life in all different capacities, okay? It's more about how you treat people when you win and you lose it has nothing to do with anything else it's that you don't demean other people it's that you 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 respectfully converse with people and then if you you know if, if you don't like a call that an official makes you don't tell that official that he or she is you know every name in the book you you, you brush it off and you say okay i didn't like that call i got to move on to the next play or whatever the case may be you know well you, and you know
1: um Nick, we say this a lot, or Jack and I have really realized that the people that need to hear about sportsmanship are the ones that are not going to listen. And so what we do to sort of combat that is that we, if we think to ourselves, if there's one person we can change, even if it's the smallest little act, we want to see the person who needs to hear the message from that other person who got it like as a right. first hand in a first hand experience rather than us telling them you know what i mean so it's it's yeah. sort of like a because people put up this defense this this barrier right they're they're not going to listen like the people that berate officials and the people who knock each other down or or um you know they're they're, they're the ones who are most likely not going to listen to the message but the people who do practice good sportsmanship and who are charitable who who take a less draconian approach to to all this are going to be are just going to be like yeah well you know they are more likely to listen when they're already doing the right what we perceive as doing the right thing wouldn't yeah. you, would you agree with that jeff well i think that's
2: yeah. always the struggle
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. you 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 look to empower the people who will listen because you if you empower the people who who will listen You've got a better shot at reaching indirectly the people who won't listen, yeah. you know?
2: Well, I think it speaks to, I mean, if you look at what is the psychological function of anger, um, we like to believe that anger is a primary emotion, but anger has an emotion underneath it, which is um, loss, suffering, embarrassment, some, it, something else, something else causes, like someone cuts me off uh, while I'm driving. Why do I get angry? Well, because I've been threatened in some yeah. way. Right. In other words, anger is a is a is almost kind of like a biological protection from vulnerability. Right. And so part of the problem that I think a lot of people have is is well, if you tell them like, well don't be anger angry, what you're telling them in effect is we'll go out and be vulnerable. We've also been taught that vulnerability is a weakness and that we shouldn't share our vulnerability, especially especially kind of in our in our more masculine discourse and our in our sport discourse, like that vulnerability is 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 bad. And the argument that I want to make is, is that well actually first of all if you look at society if you look at working with other people vulnerability actually gets you far further ahead yeah. than than being in contention with each other. I think that's true economically mm-hmm. like it's like if you if you look at it in terms of the the sales point of view well the only reason why the salesperson is able to take advantage of you that time and it works for them is because they are not expecting or kind of hoping that you're going to come back. But when we run those scenarios repeatedly, what we find is this is actually far more effective for situations to be slow, like, like slightly lesser win-wins. than one person wins big and the other person loses big because if one person wins big and the other person loses big, well, then the next time you run that cycle, I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to be vulnerable to you. So now, we're both going to be in that situation. Um, the, the famous example of this is like, if we're both caught committing a crime and if we turn each other in, right. we both shafted, mm-hmm. right? But um, if neither of us turn each other in, we get a little bit of time. But if one of us shafts the other, you know, that person goes free, the other person goes to prison. Well, if you run the scenario one time, just once, well, my best hope is I turn you in you and you're shafted right i get to walk free but now the problem is society doesn't work like that society doesn't work with these one-shot instances it's repeated well now you know that i'm the kind of person who would turn you in so if it happened again right well you're going to turn me in too and that actually ends up being one of the worst case scenarios right so the problem is is if we just talk about cause a lot of times I hear a lot of people talk about these issues kind of in a Darwinian sense, listen it's survival of the fittest, this is like what what like sport is about and what like what being a man is about, like you're supposed to win and so on and so forth. Well actually evolutionarily, human beings didn't achieve what we've achieved by beating each other. It's mm-hmm. actually the fact of being vulnerable to each other and being able to converse with each other that has made us incredibly successful in comparison with many other animals. Now, keeping in mind, even that definition of success is problematically kind of dominance and kind of, There's a whole lot other hosts of issues. But we are doing relatively well if we if we mean that we are able to kind of control now we've hit a point where we can kind of control our own evolutionary fate to a certain degree. Right. right? Where we have some say over things like the next steps in evolution when it comes to like machine intelligence and things like what kinds of stuff do we want to encourage our children to be. Like we have a say in kinds of traits. We want our society to continue. And what's weird to me, honestly, honestly, guys, is the fact that for some unknown reason, the traits that seem to be most effective for large-scale social success and survival are the ones that we tend to right now being kind of poo-pooing the most. Because the traits that are best for large-scale social survival are cohesiveness, connectedness, communication, like a, a, a like there's a, there's a reason why even other primates will often this is not always but they will often help each other out because it is in their it is in the in their long-term best interest as well so part of the problem is is our economy our sport all of this tends to think very much in the short term right it's not in the best interest of our business to be comfortable shafting customers it's not in their best interest long term. It's not a good long term uh, business model. The the businesses that often will will do best have it have have a have a business model that is more cooperative. Not in all cases, not always, <clears throat> but that that issue is where where I want to say to the person who thinks like I'm just some sort of like oh let's hug everyone, give everyone a participation trophy. No, what I that like, oh, it's all just fluffy bunnies. No, what I'm saying is is if we if we want to engage in the biggest problems of human society, the biggest problems are gonna be things like the, the the survival of humanity, the survival of life in the universe, right? Like the point the point being is like how do we how do we how do we survive our biggest existential problems, our biggest problems of existence? Right. Like not like an asteroid's coming, what do you do? you got a pandemic. What do you do? Those things require large-scale cooperation. And I would argue, and forgive me for this, dear listeners, that part of the reason why we've struggled in terms of our own survival here in the United States in this pandemic is because we've forgotten that our greatest strength is working together. Right. And especially speaking to my older, you know, to the older listeners, who remember things like World War II, right? remember things like Victory Gardens, remember things that like, there was a point in time where we had an idea kind of culturally that that, like, that our success required that we all be willing to give something up, that my, by giving something up, by maybe using less rubber, that's better for the country as a whole in total. We are now being told that we can have everything that we want, and if we don't have everything we want, we're a loser, and that someone else has it instead. Mm.
0: Which you, you referenced that perfectly also in the essay about the cooperation of, of, of people in, you know, in, 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 the greater American thought and, and, and how that has changed over time, you know, and, and I just, you know, it's, I, I love how it just comes back to that, um, you know, you,
2: Can I rudely interrupt, forgive yeah. me for this, just to, to, to give one final thought, because I yeah, know please. you have to r- r- wrap it up. and You've been yeah, yeah. extraordinarily patient with me, and I appreciate that. Oh, and it's I appreciate our pleasure. your listeners, if yeah. they've managed to listen to me the whole time. So we thank you, congratulations, to get to the end, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, you mentioned death, Jack, and I think that that, for me, is the sticking point. Yeah. What I, what I mean to say there is I do think – that if, if the great equalizer for all of us is death, right? Everyone dies. Then the real question is, who am I before I do? Right. That that's the question that I think ends up mattering more so than how much do I have when I die or how many games have I won or like, did I, did I, was I successful in this way or, you know, I, did I do this or did I do that in terms of my accomplishments? Because none of that comes with me, whether I believe in an afterlife notion or not in both the case of which there's nothing after death or if there's something after death, in both cases, the fundamental question is who am I as an entity who will inevitably die? Yeah. Who do I choose to be every day? And I think that, that we are losing sight of that. I think we've all lost. I mean, I don't want to like throw you or the listener under the bus. I think I'm there too, that we are so distracted by the things that we're told that we have to do all the th- if you really think about it, all the things that we're supposed to win, like when you, when you have a coach screaming at little kids about winning, it's not about the kids. Yeah. It's about the coach. Mm, yep. Right. And that's, that's true today. Like people are like, well, NFL players, they choose to do it. Sure. But you know what, at the end of the day, they are also, they were once those little kids who were brought up into that environment and their coach and their managers, it's still not, they're not screaming at these players. You get out there, no matter how many concussions you have and you play, they're not screaming at it for the player. They're screaming at them for themselves. Yeah, The same thing is true of our, um, our companies, our companies will want us to work. You know, my jobs will want me to work myself to the bone, regardless of, of my welfare. It's, it's, it's about the demand that we are constantly distracted from the fact that like we are actual all human beings. with, with and, and, and we are living entities with the ability to experience beauty, the ability to experience things like love and kindness and compassion. And are those not the things that we actually want the most? So then why do we allow ourselves to spend so much time letting other people demand the exact opposite from us?
0: Yeah. yeah it's, that's a great way to sum it up, you know, and, and, and to, to the coda to that is it can start each day with just ourselves in our small little circles. It doesn't have to be in the grander scheme of politics, religion, sport, whatever, whatever the topic. It's just the, 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 the little decisions you make every single day where that can be the biggest difference, and and I think that's a nice way. I think that's what Mr. Rogers would say, and I mm-hmm. think that's a nice way to to kind of summarize this this whole thing. Uh, Nick, I can't thank you enough for for hopping on with us, and I I eagerly await when if and when you'll come back and talk even more with us um, as as you know, and and who knows what we will talk about at that point <laughs> um, because because we learned so much today, like about. Egypt (laughs) hairlines Sean lives forever like all these great things so so uh, Nick thank you so much um again I hope everybody gets out there if if you're looking for a great read Nick's entry in Mr. Rogers and philosophy is the perfect place to start check out his other projects uh Frankenstein philosophy Adventure Time and philosophy his upcoming project about Star Trek and philosophy his YouTube show You Philosopher um and 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 we we anxiously await uh when when you come back and 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 chat with us again nick so thank you again
2: well i i appreciate that so much it's such a genuine pleasure uh you're fantastic what you're doing is fantastic uh and one shameless plug for you philosopher it's spelled with a u yeah not why are you just 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 in case anyone's ever interested, thank you so much for your time. Uh it's been a real honor, man.
0: It it's it's been our thank honor you. and our pleasure. So yeah. uh once again, everybody, you can find us on the web at osafoundation.org, podcast at osafoundation.org, Facebook.com slash osa twitter and instagram at osafoundation, hashtag how you play the game. Sean, as always, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh and until we talk again in just a couple of weeks, everybody, make sure you treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the Osip Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osipfoundation.org.